You know, every time I hear uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. say, free at last, free at last, it just stirs something in me, doesn't it? I mean, that's a moment of human greatness. It really, really is. It really is. So let me ask you a question. Whose greatness do you truly admire? I mean, not Jesus. Jesus is like the standard church answer. We expect that answer. But, but really, who is it? If you were to take a step back and think about your life, who is it that you really, truly, sincerely admire? Uh, who, who is it that you just look at their life and you go, if I could just be like that a little bit, if I could just do that. Do you have like a, like a, a, a famous iron chef that you secretly follow? And you're like on every tweet that they have, you know, uh, or maybe a certain musician where you own every T-shirt that they've ever printed or, or, or maybe it's, um, you know, some sports athlete that every time you see this person, you're like, your mind is blown. Uh, who is it? Is there someone that you really admire in this world? Someone that you would say, man, if I could just do that, if I could just achieve that. Maybe it's somebody in your field of business or your field of study, or, or maybe it's a favorite uh, filmmaker or author that you would have, but there's somebody out there that you would go, man, if I could just do that, that would be incredible. That would be great for my life. Uh, and, and the question becomes is, what is it about their greatness that intrigues you? What is it about their greatness that motivates you and stirs something in you? What is it that captures your attention? Or what is it that just seems to elevate life for them? What is it? What is it? And, and let me ask you a question about you. What is it that you're pursuing? What greatness do you want for your life? You personally. What would make you great? What, what is it that you're going after that if you could just say, if I could just become this, if I could just do this, that would be so great. What is it that would make you great? Because my guess is, is that every single person in this room wants to be great. Or at least you would like to be great at something where you would hope that somebody would look at you one day and shake their head and go, wow, that is, that is great. What is it? Seriously, what is it that, that would make you great. What is it? You know, Jesus' closest friends had this exact discussion one time. They were throwing around this whole idea of, of, of what is greatness and how do you become great and who's great and who's greater than who and who's the greatest of all. And, and they're having this discussion one time and it's found in the book of Luke chapter 9. And so if you've got a Bible or a smartphone, I would love for you to dial that up and find that. I think it would serve you well. Um, Luke, if you might remember that uh, he was a doctor. He, he was a skeptic at one point in his life. He, he didn't believe in this whole Jesus thing. And, and so Luke, being the kind of inquisitive mind that he was, he decided to make a careful investigation of all these claims about Jesus. And somewhere along the way, uh, Luke goes from being a skeptic to a believer. And then he begins to write down some of the events surrounding the life of Jesus. He makes a careful inquiry of it, and he begins to write them all down. And, and they form the basis of a book that bears his name called The, the Gospel According to Luke. And it's a fascinating uh, read about a man who goes from skepticism to belief. And so um, Luke, in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, he, he says it this way. There's this Argument. They're talking about this idea of greatness. And it says uh, in verse 46, it says, an argument arose among them. Now, these are the 12 closest followers of Jesus. These are the disciples. And an argument breaks out amongst friends. I'm sure that this has never happened with any of you, ever, right? It happens with me on occasion. 
That's just how it is. And, and these close friends, these close followers of Jesus, they have this argument about which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, now pause for a second. That's kind of a weird statement. Jesus knows their minds? Yes. Well, that right there is weird. That's why I don't believe in Christian stuff. Right there. That's just, who knows somebody else's mind? You do. With your children. Before they come to you half the time and say anything, you already know what they're going to say half the time. You just do. Jesus is just better at it than you are. That's all. Okay, it's not like you've never done this before, but, but he's like way better at it, okay? And, and so he, he, he knows what's in their hearts. He knows what's in their mind. And then so, so Jesus took a child and put him by his side and said to him, and listen to this, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is what? Great. Now, this is a crazy conversation to have with, with a bunch of guys who are supposed to be mere servants of God, right? This is a crazy thing because these men are supposed to be people who their whole life, their whole being is supposed to be humble servants of God. And here they are arguing about who is the greatest among them. It's like a bunch of Jesus' closest followers are jockeying for position. Who's going to be the top dog? Who's going to be the second? What's the pecking order going to be like? And, and so there's this argument that's developing. And I think here's why. Because there are these 12 common, ordinary guys, and they knew when they were with Jesus, they knew that they were around somebody who was great. And they knew that when they were in the presence of Jesus, that something great was going to happen. And somehow, and in some way, they could attach their name to Jesus. It would be like their ticket to fame. It would be like their ticket to stardom. It would be their ticket to greatness. And if you could be the top dog in Jesus' little thing that's going on, because they know that Jesus' little thing is blowing up to a big thing. And they can see this coming. And so they're going, if I could get my name on the top of that list, something big is going to happen in my life. This is my opportunity for something famous, for something great. Now, follow me on this. Here, here's why I think this. Here's why I think this. Just before this little conversation about greatness breaks out amongst the 12 followers, just before this whole deal like who's the best and who's number one and who's number two and who's greater and I'm definitely greater than this guy and I'm greater than him and he's really a loser. I don't even know why he's one of the 12. This is ridiculous, you know? And, and, and so this whole argument's going down, but just before this argument... These 12 closest followers of Jesus literally see Jesus heal a boy who was possessed by a demon. Now, this is a crazy story. Listen, listen, listen. It was just like the poltergeist movie type of thing, right? A little boy was, was demon-possessed, and he was convulsing. His head was spinning in circles, and I just made that part up. I'm not really sure if that's true or not, but it was in the movie. It was sweet. Okay, and so, uh, but, this, but, but it's true. Like, this boy was possessed by a demon, and the father tried to help his son many times before. Now, I don't know how many of you are parents in this room, but when your child is uh, struggling or suffering for something, from something that you just can't do anything about, how does that make you feel as a dad or as a mom? Come on. It's horrible. It's horrible. And this father has tried to figure out a way to, to fix his son. And nobody seemed to help. He couldn't help his son. And his son is literally struggling with this demon that has possessed his body. And I know this sounds crazy. 
But they bring, this, this father brings this boy to Jesus and the boy is convulsing, he's foaming at the mouth, he's throwing himself on the ground and this demon is doing incredible harm to his son. And the father can't do anything about it. He's like, I don't even know what to do. But I hear that you can do something. So he brings this boy to Jesus. And Jesus does whatever the son of God does with demons. And he says something and he does wave something. I don't know if he threw something. I'm not sure where it all went down. But he does whatever the son of God does over a demon. And bam! The boy was healed. And the boy was delivered. And people are looking on. Now listen, here's what the takeaway is. So the people are looking on and they're going, whoa, I couldn't do that. I tried. <laughs> couldn't do that <laughs> right there. Wow. And they realize something, that Jesus is no ordinary man. And as a matter of fact, it's recorded what all the onlookers said. All these people are looking on and they all record this this little phrase. Check this out. Here's what it says. In verse uh, 43, it says, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. And they realized in this moment that Jesus was far from ordinary, that he was different, that they, were, that they were in the presence of God himself in this moment. And, and friends, listen, when you are in the presence of something great, what happens inside of you? Listen, when you're in the presence of something great, something stirs inside of you, something motivates you, something that, that, that inside of you triggers us. I want to become more. I want to become different. I want to, I want to grow. I want to take some other steps in my life. Because listen, if, you're like, if you like are, go, go to a great concert and, or you hear a great album and you're, you're like a musician, you are like, I'm going home and practicing now, right now. I'm going home and I'm tightening up my chops. You're like going, I don't know if I'm ever going to become this. I don't know if I could ever do this. But you are stirred toward greatness, aren't you? When you're you're in the presence of something amazing, you're stirred. You're stirred to something more in your your life. Like if if you're like an athlete, right? Or maybe you used to be an athlete or maybe you're old now, but you still think you're an athlete. And you watch TV and you see some dude perform an amazing whatever. and, And you're like, I would love to try that. And you try it, and then you go to the hospital. Why? Because you're old, but you don't care. Why? Because something was stirred inside of you. This is, I can do something more. There's something moving inside of you to become something different. Greatness, when you're in the presence of greatness, it causes you toward greatness. It causes you to move toward that in your own life. It's like, you know, some of y'all watch the Food Network and you're like, whoa, whoa. And you run out to the kitchen and you're like, got mac and cheese going on. You're like going to turn this thing into something awesome, right? You're not settling anymore down here. And this is what happens when you get around something that is incredible, something that is great. You're inspired to to up your game, to improve your behavior, to simply do better. And I got a question. What would make you great? What has to happen in your life to, to make something great of your life? I think this is exactly what's going on here. Jesus is revealed in all of his greatness and the disciples realize, man, there is so much more to him. And because of him, the Bible says that he gives his spirit to us and and these guys quickly realize that they can become something more, that they can become something different, that they can elevate their game. Let me ask you again, what would make your life great?
What do you have to do? What do you have to become to make your life great? And I find this an incredibly appealing and incredibly fascinating uh, discussion because Jesus apparently doesn't think this whole discussion is a stupid discussion. He's not really put off by it. He, he's not like, hey, listen, boys, we talked about humility a hundred times. This has nothing to do with humility. You're arguing about who is supposed to be great among you or who's the greatest among you. And Jesus doesn't go, this is a dumb conversation. You boys need to hang it up right now. He doesn't do that at all. What he does in this moment is he begins to reshape our understanding of ambition. He begins to reshape our understanding of greatness and what does it mean to be great. He gives us a whole new definition of greatness in our world. When I was a kid back in high school, we had to uh, read a, uh, the story of uh, Narcissus, right? Uh, Narcissus, I think how you pronounce it, right? You remember this whole deal? Um, you remember the story? He's a noble person, and he's quite handsome, and a lot like me. And uh, he is walking down the, the road one day, and it's an era where there's not many mirrors, and so you see your reflection in a pool of water. And this guy sees his reflection in the pool of water, and he is enamored by it. He is like, "Whoa, I'm beautiful. This this person looking at me is incredible, and uh, like fascinating, and magnificent, and just full of of beauty." And and he's drawn to this reflection of himself and if you remember the story he can't seem to leave the poolside that he literally sits there enamored with himself full of himself to the point where he dies by the poolside can't leave the poolside can't leave from looking at himself now clinically out of this there's something that we call narcissism right and it's from this story. Um, we, we would say that somebody's a narcissist when they are consumed with themselves, when, when they are full of themselves, when they think life is all about them, when life is for them, when life revolves around them, that they think that they are the little center of the whole world, that every relationship needs to form around them. And it's what they get out of a relationship that's important, not what they give, that uh, they think that how they feel about every situation, what they say in every situation is what really matters most. Anybody know a narcissist in their life at all? Anybody? You see the whole problem with though, the whole problem with this though is, I hate to break the bad news, but everybody in this room, to some degree or another, struggles with narcissism. Sorry. Every single one of us has this bent towards self. Every single one of us wakes up every day thinking we're the center of the universe, that the whole world revolves around us, that, that, if, that my opinion, my, uh, my relationships, my being is everything in this world, that somehow we are the center of it all, that I'm enamored with me, I am addicted to, to, to me, and we have a whole culture built around self-love and self-esteem and self-help and self-improvement and self-actualization, right? Um, and it's true that some of that's got to be there in our life. We've got to have a healthy self-image. But we have a culture that has become obsessed with self. Get all that I can from everybody that I can, whenever I can. That it's all for me. And this is the world we live in. But, here, but here's the problem with this. For those of us in this room, and I don't know if this is you, but for those of us in this room who want to be great in God's eyes, it's different than that. The problem is, is that we were not made to reflect our image to the world, we were made to reflect God's image to the world. We were made to let the world see God through us. We were made to get out of the way and let God become the way for us. 
And, and you know that God has a character about him. God is loving and just. He's full of goodness and grace and kindness and mercy. He's full of righteousness and holiness. He's full of everything that most of us aren't too full of. And the command for me and you is that we are to image God to the world. We are to repicture God to the world. We're to reflect God to the world, that, that his character, the character of the invisible God that we say we worship, is supposed to be given to the world. But the problem with narcissism, in which we are all bent toward, is that, yep, we're still worshipers. <laughs> but we tend to worship ourselves first. We tend to place ourselves on the pedestal. We, t- we tend to go after uh, our, our self with all of this. See, narcissism is still worship. It's just the worship of oneself instead of where our worship truly belongs. So this is where our world has gone crazy. This is where our world has gone nuts. Uh, our world has melted together this idea of being famous and this idea of being great. Now, they're two different things. But the world has melted these ideas together. They're they're synonymous in our world today. To be great means that you are famous, and to be famous means that you are great. Now, isn't this true? Come on, think about pop culture for a moment. If you're like on TV, you must be great at something. So we line up and we clap. Oh, a famous person's in town? What do they do? I have no idea. But they're famous, right? Uh, and this is our, our, the world around us. There, there was a day, not too terribly long ago, that you had to do something great in order to be considered great. Come on. You, you had to do something in order to be considered great. You had to, like, go to the moon or something. You had to invent the Apple computer or something like that, right? You had to figure out something like brain surgery, and then we would go, you're great, You're great, and you deserve to be famous, right? Those things are great things, and so you deserve some sort of fame that comes along. But but let me tell you something. Let me ask you something. Just tell me. Listen, just tell me anything um, that what's-her-face Kardashian lady has ever done that's great. I'll give you the rest of your life to answer that question. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. But but some of y'all go like, well, that Paris Hilton girl, she's done some great stuff. No, she hasn't. No, 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 really, she, she really hasn't done anything great. As a matter of fact, on the, if there was a rector scale of, uh, of like human contribution to global good, it wouldn't even register. Like, they're, they're nothing, flatline zero. But we go, oh, they're great. They're great because they're famous. Let me tell you something. People nowadays seem to be famous just for the sake of being famous. They're, they're known for just being no, they don't have to actually achieve anything great. It's, it's true. Is this right? Culture has redefined greatness to being famous. Culture has made it synonymous with one another. And there's a whole lot of people who would do anything to become famous. They'll go anywhere and do anything to become famous. I, I want everybody to know me. I want everybody to like me. And so it's really also narcissistic, isn't it? And, and, it, and this selfie culture that we have contributes to all of this. And somehow we think, if I can just get like 100 people to like my little selfie on Facebook, I am famous, and I am great, and I am somebody, and my value just went up a notch in humanity. Really? Really? But that is the world we live in, that somehow we derive our value based on how many clicks and how many likes and how many followers that we can somehow have. 
And, and this is what happens in our world. Normal people become abnormal by imitating the celebrity culture around us. Uh, and, and it leads to a train wreck of a life. It, it is just true. Look at the celebrity culture. It is a constant self-promotion in search of self-identity, isn't it? It is a constant self-promotion. Look at me, like me, and somehow if I get enough people to look at me and like me, then I'm valuable to our world, that I, that I have something great to offer our world. And what happens is that people become addicted to self. They become self-addicted, and, and you've seen this over and over. They become self-absorbed. People become drama queens because drama gets eyes to look at them. Anybody ever notice this? It's like, are these people crazy? Yes. Yes, they are. And they're crazy because it fulfills something in them. They, they liken it to being great because now they're famous for being nuts. And it's true. <laughs> um, you look at the fame of culture, and where does it lead? Where does it lead? It, it leads to everybody, look at me, look at me, uh, follow me. Uh, you better follow me on Twitter, right? Just look at me, culture. And, and where does it all go? It leads to extreme, dangerous, destructive behavior. As a matter of fact, it's, it's often what causes people to be famous. Extreme, destructive behavior. And in a, as a culture, we've begun to think that this stuff is normal, that it's good and even healthy. And, and listen, you're not going to go home tonight and watch uh, one of these like soup shows or TMZ or entertainment tonight. You're never ever going to watch a show that like, like today we follow Frank around with our cameras. And Frank got out of bed good and early this morning, read Proverbs before he even got out of bed. And then he had oatmeal with decaffeinated coffee. He took the bus to work because he wanted to lower his carbon footprint. And he did a fantastic job today at work. He was honest, didn't steal a thing. Loves his employer, even stayed late for him. He's a good man. He came home, ate dinner with the wife and kids, kissed his wife, did devotions and played around with his kids a little bit, prayed with his kids before bed. You would never go, wow. Our culture would never go, look at that. Unless the story went on. And then after everybody went to bed, Frank got up and ate somebody. And then we'd go, wow, look at that. That's awesome. Follow that. You know? And it's just the way our world is. It's crazy. Am I right? It's crazy. The nuttier you are, the more followers you get. The crazier, the better. And crazy is what often makes you famous. And our culture just says, that must be great. But the problem is, this leads to so many destructive behaviors. This leads to so many hurtful behaviors and problems, bizarre attractions to the body image or eating disorders like bulimia and anorexia or extreme surgeries and procedures just to somehow make yourself more uh, acceptable. Hypersexuality. This is what drives hypersexuality because you can't find any satisfaction. You can't find any fulfillment. You, there has to be something crazier and crazier and crazier out there. This is what leads to things like hoarding and cutting and extreme addictions to substances and, and alcohol and, and all those sorts of things and even violent behavior because something doesn't satisfy so you need something crazier, you need something more. And so now what do you got today? And this is true. I'm, I know this is true. So now you got junior hires who are sending uh, naked photos of themselves across the internet thinking somehow if I do this, people will like me. People will follow me. That somehow I'll have more value. Or now you got 12 and 13-year-olds trying to re repeat the crazy stunts that they see on television. And they don't understand repercussions. And they don't understand deductibles, parents. Right? They just want to rush. And they want to put it on film and get it up on Facebook as fast as possible. And they don't realize that just a moment of stupidity 
could ruin their life forever. Forever. And, and this, friends, is just the world that we live in. Am I right? This is the world that we live in. And, and the problem is, is that ultimately we, we, def, we define our identity or we find our identity in something other than God, in someone other than Jesus. And it leads to this pathway of self-destructive behavior in many of our lives. Not just the crazy nuts we see on TV, but many of us in this very room have taken steps toward the nutty when we know full well we should never have done that. Never have gone in those directions. And, and friends, this leaves a pattern in our life. It, it begins something because the, the problem is, is when we think the glory, the, the fame, the likes are for me and not for God. When we think it revolves around me and not God, we want more and more of ourselves. And friends, you can go way back. This doesn't end well. You can go way back to uh, Marilyn Monroe. You can go back to Elvis. You can go back to uh, John Belushi. You can go back to, uh, of course, Chris Farley or Kurt Cobain or Michael Jackson or Prince. It just doesn't end well. It just, this, this obsession for fame equaling greatness just doesn't end well. Have you, heard, uh, have you ever heard of a guy named Dr. Drew? Dr. Drew, he's on television. He has like this show called uh, Celebrity Rehab, okay? He's like an addiction specialist. And he, and he wrote a book, it was very interesting. It's called The Mirror Effect, how celebrities, listen, how celebrity narcissism is seducing America. It's very interesting. Now, I don't think he's a Christian, but he has a lot of wisdom uh, that he writes about in this book. And, and, and he says this, this is very interesting to me. He says, celebrities, like all narcissists, people who think it's all about them, rely on the world as a mirror, constantly gazing outward in search of gratification or affirmation in order to stave off the unbearable feelings of internal emptiness. Now you're supposed to say, wow, at that point. Because that is good. And that is true. We, we somehow think if we get enough people to like us, to follow us, and, and to pat us on the back in life, that somehow it will raise our value. It'll raise our soul satisfaction. But friends, it just doesn't. I found this incredibly fascinating. There's a, a research institute called the Pew Institute, and they did this study on people between 18 and 25, a younger generation, right? And they basically asked a very simple question. What are your top goals in life? What are your top goals in life? And the top two were fascinating to me. Uh, they seem so interlinked uh, with each other. Uh, basically, the first one's a little bit more understandable. Their, their number one answer across the board, the number one answer on people 18 to 25, top goal in their life was to be happy. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, because we all want to be happy. Come on, we all want to be happy to some degree, and that's a decent goal and whatnot. I don't know if it'd be the... Top goal of life, but, it, but it's up there, right? And so their goal was to be happy. But their second one, 51% either rated this number one or number two. Number one or number two. 51% said the goal, number one or number two, of my life was to be famous. I'm like going, what? They asked thousands of 18 to 25-year-olds, and they said, top goals of our life, happy and famous. Famous and happy. Do, do you, do you want to be... Do, do you want to be loving? Nope. Do you want to have great relationships? Nope. Do you want to be compassionate? Nope. Do you want to be holy? Nope. Do you want to love God? Nope. What do you want to be? I want to be happy and I want to be famous. And those two seem so linked because they're going, I'll be happy if I'm famous and if I'm famous, I must be happy. Older people in the room, how do you think this is going to end for this generation? 
not well. It's just not going to end well. It is just not ever going to end well. Because you're going to ask these kids, well, how do you plan on getting famous? Well, I'm going to do something nutty. And I'm going to put it on Facebook and everybody's going to like me and then I'm going to be very happy. Really? I doubt it. I really doubt it. Let me give you a, just a tragic, um, just a tragic, horrendous, devastating example of how this works in real life. Uh, how many of you guys have ever heard of Lawrence Fishburne? He's a, an actor. He's, he's a great actor. He's a good actor. He's, uh, he's a black guy. He was in the Matrix movie. Uh, very, very skilled guy. And... Uh, uh, he had a, a daughter when, when she just turned 18, when she was still a teenager a couple years back. His daughter, um, self-made and self-promoted, self-distributed uh, her first pornography film, porn film. And this was devastating to Lawrence. I mean, as a father, you can imagine, he was like, what in the world have you done? He did it, she did it behind his back and behind her mother's back, the whole nine yards. And, and, uh, and of course, this caused incredible division in their, in their family. But what was striking to me, as a matter of fact, Lawrence was so disturbed by this that he, um, that he and his friends actually tried to pool a bunch of money together to buy all the rights to this film, but it had already been distributed and it was too late to get it back. Incredible, right? And, and what was amazing to me is why this young 18-year-old girl said it. She said flat out, I did it because I want to be famous. And then she said this, listen to this, this will blow your mind. She says, I view making this adult movie as important as an important first step in my career. All right, okay, I view making this adult movie as an important first step in my career. I've watched how successful Kim Kardashian, and you could add Paris Hilton or Pamela Anderson or any of them, became, I, I, uh, how successful Kim Kardashian became, and I think a lot of that was due to the release of her sex tape. I'm hoping the same magic will work for me. I'm impatient about getting well-known. She's 18. I'm impatient about getting well-known. I want to become famous quick and have more opportunities, and this seems like a great, great way to get my life started. What will make you great? Do you think this will make this girl's life great? Honestly, I mean, I think it'll make her famous. But I don't think it'll make it great. So let me ask you again, what would make your life great? Because you do realize that God has made you for greatness. God has equipped you for greatness. God has put this vision for more in your life. He, he has, it is from him. We, Jesus didn't shut this whole conversation down. Jesus reshaped this conversation. Jesus tried to get to the root of what, where does greatness lie? Because listen, we should want to be great in this world. I want to be great. But Jesus comes along and says, listen, be great, but there's a different formula behind being great. There's something totally different. Because listen, you should want a great marriage. You should want to be a great parent. You should want to be a great single person. You should want to be a great friend. You should want to be a great businesswoman or businessman. You should want to be a great musician if that's you. You should want to be a great artist if that's you. You should want to be a great engineer if that's you, an architect if that's you. You should want to be great. You should want to make a great impact in this world. Amen? Uh, you hear me? God did not wire you to sit around and do lousy things. He made you for something great. You should want in a great way to reflect his quality and his character in the world around us. But Jesus comes along and says, this is how you're wired. 
But the formula is different. The formula for greatness looks different than the world. Jesus comes along, he redefines what greatness is, and he begins to lay a, a, found, a, a foundation, a fundamental foundation of, of how greatness is built in your life. Because he comes along and he says this, for he who is least among you is the one who is great. And now listen to how the book of Matthew says it. Same story, same situation, but here's one of the reasons I believe the Bible to be true. People go, because this is going to be a little bit different. The recording of Matthew versus Luke is a little bit different. And people go, right there, the Bible doesn't say the same thing. No, 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 no. This is why we believe the Bible to be true. It's not cookie cutter. Whenever you have all these people looking at the same situation, everybody writes what they saw, they each see something different. They each remember something important, different. Something stands out different to every single person, right? Like when you go to a concert and you go, wow, what was your moment? Everybody has a different moment. That's the point, Right? And so Matthew records the same uh, situation with these kids and this discussion about greatness and all this. But listen to how he says it. Slightly different. It's amazing. He says this, Matthew 18, 1 through 4. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the what? Greatest. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? They're having the same argument, right? And calling him, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, Unless you turn and become like a child, like, like, like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this, what? Child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so they come to Jesus and they say, we want to be great. Who's the greatest and who's on top and who's second, all this. And, and Jesus doesn't knock their aspirations down. What he does is he reshapes their aspirations. He reshapes their understanding of what it means to be great. He says it's not so much in the what is greatness or what does it actually look like. What he begins to do is he tells us where does greatness come from. If you're going to achieve anything great in this world, he begins to say it comes from a different foundation in your life. It will look different for all of us, but it comes from the same foundation in every single one of us. He pulls a child up and he, and he says, let me explain how this whole greatness thing, this greatness thing is going to work in your life. And he puts his child next to him and he says, you want to know what greatness is? You want to know how to become great? Become like this. And they're looking at this kid and this kid's going. And Jesus is saying, be humble like this kid. Be like this, like this child. You see, this was startling teaching. This was a crazy talk from Jesus. To pull a kid up in this day was, was, was absolutely out of line in culture because children were seen and not heard and, and children were completely irrelevant in culture and they weren't even considered to be part of the community in Jewish culture until they were 12. And of course, in Roman culture, you could take your child and leave them outside in the wilderness to be eaten by wolves or lions or bears or anything. Children were irrelevant in this culture. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, 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 hey listen, will you want to be great? do this. Become like this. For a rabbi like Jesus, for a teacher like Jesus to say, become like a child. It was crazy talk to these people. People were going, what can this snot nose, messy hair, one pant leg up, one pant leg down. You know how kids dress today. They're going, what can this kid teach me about life? What can this kid show me about life? And Jesus says, a whole bunch. A whole bunch. 
Jesus shifts the paradigm altogether. He, under, he, he says, listen, he's not, he wasn't talking about becoming like this kid, like you go be silly now, or you go play video games all day, or be goofy all day long. He wasn't saying sit around and do nothing, let everybody take care of the whole world around you. He wasn't saying that at all. He was saying to have a childlike faith, not a childish faith. He says, until you get the difference down, until you become like a child, you will never be great. You see, friends, listen why. He was dealing with pride. He was dealing with arrogance. He was dealing with matters of the heart. He was trying to reshape our hearts so that greatness could flow out of our hearts. He, he was saying that children, children understand what it means to obey. Children should understand what it means to be humble. Children should understand what it means to serve their fathers and their mothers. Children should understand these things. Children should learn. Children should grow. And what he was saying is, he was saying there's a whole bunch of us, we get to a certain stage in life, we get to a certain age in life, some of it's 50 and some of us is like at 30, some of us like we're 22 and we know it all and we think we don't have to grow anymore. We don't think we have to change anymore. We don't think we have to learn anymore. We don't think we have to take next steps anymore. And Jesus goes, you're crazy. You will never become great in the eyes of God if you think you've arrived, if you think you know it all, because he says you got to become like this. you got to be humble and learn like this and be teachable like this and submit to your heavenly father. He says if you want to be great, you got to be like a kid who listens for the voice of their father and then obeys it. Then obeys it. And some of you are going, I wish my kid would obey me like that. Well, that's your issue. But God created children to obey their parents, to listen for their parents' voice. He's saying for you and for me, if we want to get this thing right, we got to drop the pride, we got to drop the arrogance, and we got to figure out how to become humble in our heart so that we grow and that we take our next steps. Children reflect their parents. Children love freely. Children love openly. Children love generously. Children learn to humbly serve their family. That's the way God designed it to be, at least. And Jesus says, if you want to become great, you have to become like one of these. Stop thinking you know it all. Stop thinking you've arrived. Stop thinking things are below you or beneath you. He wants to humble us. There's another story um, that comes out of the, the book of Mark. It's a, it's a parallel story. And remember how we talked about how there's this argument that came to be among the disciples and they were talking about greatness. I want to show you the backstory of how this argument came to be, what they were actually arguing about. It's very fascinating. Mark chapter 10. It's interesting because uh, there were two brothers, James and John, and they were sons of a man named Zebedee. So they were the sons of Zebedee, James and John, son, sons of Zebedee. And they were among Jesus' closest followers. And they had heard all of this talk about greatness and they see where this whole Jesus thing is going. It's like, this is taken off and we better be in charge and we better be large and in charge. And so they like are hanging out out with Jesus and all the boys and they're you know all the guys are all around and and they're like hey big J we gotta talk to you and they pull Jesus off to the side and it says that they they make this request of Jesus this crazy request of Jesus and they go Jesus we just want you to hear us out for a second and they say something that's very very funny to me they, they literally say to Jesus could you imagine saying this to, to Jesus <laughs> we want you to do whatever we ask of you that's like your kid coming to you and going, hey, we know you can do things that we can't do, so we want you to do exactly what we want you to do. So they come to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we know that you can do like way more than us, 
And so, like, you're way better than us, and you got, like, this whole greatness thing going on. And so we want you to do something for us. We want you to do whatever we ask of you. Expecting Jesus would go, okay, sounds good, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus has a very interesting response. It's like he plays along for a, bit, a little bit. He goes, all right, what do you want? And they say this. This is, this is interesting. This is found uh, in, in, in Mark 10, 37. It says, they replied... <laughs> Let one of us sit on your right and the other one sit on your left in your coming kingdom. In other words, we want to be thing one and thing two. In other words, we want to be like great and greater. We, we want to be it. We want to be the top of the top. We want to be the dogs in charge because we know where this whole thing is going and you're our ticket to something. And it's like Jesus is like just smacking his forehead and going, you guys have missed it. Greatness doesn't come from position. Greatness does not come from authority. Greatness comes from something buried deep in your heart. It looks different than what you're used to seeing. And Jesus' response was amazing. It was like he addresses them in such an amazing sort of way. This is what he says. He just turns everything upside down. Verse 41, he says, when the 10 heard about this, so apparently somebody was like, hey, what are they talking about over there? I don't know, I'll go find out. And they sneak up and they're listening on the conversation. We're not sure how they found out, but they found out and they were mad. What does it say earlier? An argument arose among them. Here it says that they became indignant. In other words, they got upset. They were mad because they heard about this discussion of greatness, right? And so now an argument is going on. And it says this, they became indignant with James and John. So apparently James and John were at the center of all this arguing, right? In verse 30, uh, 42, it says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles, it, they lord it over them. In other words, you know how Rome rules? They rule with power, they rule with authority. They rule you with a sword. And it says this. It says, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But then he says something crazy. Verse 43, he says, not so with you. If you want to become great, it's not going to look anything like Rome. It's not going to look like anything like the pop culture. It's not going to look anything like the famous people. It's not going to be so with you. If you bear my name, if you somehow identify with me, if you self-proclaim that you are a follower of Christ, if you bear the name Christianos, Christian, little follower of Christ, it won't look the same for you. Greatness will look totally different than anything you see in this world. He says, these people, Rome, you know exactly how Rome behaves. They power up. They beat down. He says, it's going to be different with you if you're going to follow me. And then he says this. He says, not so with you. Instead, he goes, instead, whoever wants to become what? Come on. Whoever wants to become, say it again. Say, great. Do you want to become great in this world? He says, it's going to look different among you because you must be a servant. Whoever's going to be great among you must be your servant. And they're going, huh? Wait a second. We've never, we never seen this before. What do you mean that's great? He, he's turning everything upside down. He's standing against the whole flow of the world. And he says, it's going to be different with you. If you want your friends, if, you're, if you want your family to somehow look at you and go, man, that's a great dad. That's a great mom. That's a great husband. That's a great wife. That's a great friend. That's a great employee. That's a great employer. He says, if you want to get to the heart of humanity, he says, you got to somehow figure out how to serve humanity. 
And then he says this, whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the son of man, Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he says this, God recognizes a different kind of greatness. You can tweet that right there. God recognizes a different kind of greatness. He says, with me, it's just going to be different. It's got to be different with my followers. We're not going to do it like the world does it because it does not end well for them ever. Something different is required of you. And he's not saying, listen, he's not saying you got to run around helping everybody all the time, volunteer for everything, feel guilty about not doing something. He's not saying that at all. It's not like he's saying, oh, you got to go clean the toilets at the church or work with the kids program or, or wash dishes or sweep the floors. He, he's not saying any of that. It might involve that. It might for you like be sweeping the floors. It might be cleaning the toilet. But what he's saying is this. He's saying it, it better not be beneath you. It better not be under you. And you better not think you've outgrown the little things. And you better not think you've arrived. And you better not think that somehow you know it all. And these people over here, they don't know anything. And these people are more my people because we're up here and they're down here over there. And those people over there, they're not even the same color as me. Jesus says, not so with you. You want to be great? You figure out how to love people. You figure out how to be humble and serve people. You better figure out how to hear the voice of God and follow it like a child. And stop thinking of yourself as high and mighty. Stop thinking of yourself, well, I'll serve the church when they ask me to be the preacher. You hear the voice of your father. And if you want him to say, well done, you want him to say, you've done great, then obey it. Hear it and follow it. Amen? That's who's the greatest among you. The one with a humble heart, like a child. Father, we come before you and just bow for a moment, quiet our soul for a moment before the world hits us again. Um, it's going to get loud in a moment in our life as soon as we walk out of this place. Um, So Father, would you one more time just speak into our soul. God, would you let us know that you are not far. God, would you make your voice clear to us so that we would follow. God, help us to have humble hearts to follow you no matter what. And no matter where. God, help us not to think that somehow we are above giving some of our time, our energies, our passions back to your kingdom. God, help us not to think somehow that, that our uh, position is above others. God, help us to realize that our position is only that of your child. And that each of us have an obligation to listen for your voice and to hear you. So God, grow us up. Help, help us to take our next step. Help us to grow towards you and with you. Shape our hearts, God. Help us to redefine our understanding of greatness. Uh, move us to become more like you. 
In Jesus' strong name, together we say, amen. Amen?